Habakkuk chapter 2, verses 18 through 20. What profit is the idol when its maker has carved it, or an image a teacher of falsehood? For its maker trusts in his own handiwork, when he fashions spe- speechless idols. Woe to him who says to a piece of wood, Awake, to a mute stone, arise. And that is your teacher? Behold, it is overlaid with gold and silver, and there is no breath at all inside it. But the Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth be silent before him. So, continuing in uh, uh, this passage in Habakkuk, he's continuing his rebuke of the, um, of the nation of Babylon. And he's um, confronted many of their sins. And for this portion, he now confronts their idolatry, their faith in these idols that they themselves have created. Um, this idea of confronting the idol that is made and then worshipped and the, the insanity that's in that someone must believe in order to do this, to worship something that they themselves have created. Um, there is no profit in it when its maker has carved it. That's what he's talking about. So by their own hands, their own will, they've made this idol. They now put their faith in this idol. So to, to study this further, um, we'll go to Jeremiah uh, chapter 10. Jeremiah's most known for this rebuke of this specific sin. Um, we'll start in Jeremiah chapter 10, verses 6 to 16. Jeremiah 10, 6. There is none like you, O Lord. You are great, and great is your name in might. Who would not fear you, O king of the nations? Indeed, it is your due. For among all the wise men of the nations, and in all their kingdoms, there is none like you. But they are altogether stupid and foolish in their discipline of delusion. Their idol is wood. Beaten silver is brought up from Tarshish, and gold from Uphaz, the work of the craftsmen and of the hands of a goldsmith violet and purple are their clothing they are all the work of skilled men but the lord is the true god he is the living god and the everlasting king at his wrath the earth quakes and the nations cannot endure his indignation thus you shall say to them the gods that did not make the heavens and the earth will perish from the earth and from under the heavens it is he who made the earth by his power who established the world by his wisdom and by his understanding, he has stretched out the heavens. When he utters his voice, there is a tumult of waters in the heavens and he causes the clouds to ascend from the end of the earth. He makes lightning for the rain and brings out the wind from his storehouses. Every man is stupid, devoid of knowledge. Every goldsmith is put to shame by his idols for his molten images are deceitful and there is no breath in them. They are worthless, a work of mockery in the time of their punishment. They will perish. The portion of Jacob is not like these, for the maker of all is he. And Israel is the tribe of his inheritance. The Lord of hosts is his name. So here Jeremiah is rebuking those who make their own idols. He calls them stupid and foolish, full of delusion, and... That is in verse 8. And then he again 
in verse 14 rebukes him. The man is stupid and devoid of knowledge. So he's highlighting here the insanity that one would create something and then worship it. And to the contrast of that is in verses 10, 11, 12, 13, where he's highlighting how God is the creator. So anything created is by definition not a God. God is the one uncreated who creates all things. And that is the nature of the true God. And here he's, he's highlighting how you must be insane to believe and to trust in something that is created. Jeremiah also speaks about this in chapter 16. Jeremiah 16, verses 16 to 21. Behold, I am going to send for many fishermen, declares the Lord, and they will fish for them. And afterwards, I will send for many hunters, and they will hunt them from every mountain and every hill and from the clefts of the rock. For my eyes are on all their ways. They are not hidden from my face, nor is their iniquity concealed from my eyes. I will first doubly repay their iniquity and their sin because they have polluted my land. They have filled my inheritance with the carcasses of their detestable idols and with their abominations. O Lord, my strength and my stronghold and my refuge in the day of distress, to you the nations will come from the ends of the earth and say, Our fathers have inherited nothing but falsehood, futility, and things of no profit. Can man make gods for himself? Yet they are not gods. Therefore, behold, I am going to make them known This time I will make them known, know my power and my might, and they shall know that my name is the Lord. So in this passage from verses 16 to 21, he rebukes their idolatry specifically in verse 18. So he, he calls this idolatry detestable and that these idols are an abomination to him. So it's not simply a sin, um, a futile sin, like it's a harmless sin just because it's a block of wood or something of that sort. But it is detestable to God and it is an abomination to God that a man would be um, so deluded in their thinking uh, that they would trust in something that they made. And that's what he says in verse 20. Can man make gods for himself? But this is what this, these men are doing. They are making gods for themselves, but they're not gods. That's what we were saying by definition. God is the uncreated and the creator of all things. <clears throat> Some further examples of this a, or an example of how uh, those who worship these idols are um, stupid, as the prophet says, um, is in First Kings. <clears throat> this is the practical or an illustration of how uh, ridiculous these types of idolatry are, and all idol- idolatry is. 
First Kings chapter 18, and we'll read verses 20 to 29. First Kings 18, 20. So Ahab sent a message among all the sons of Israel and brought the prophets together at Mount Carmel. <clears throat> Elijah came near to all the people and said, How long will you hesitate between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal, follow him. But the people did not answer him a word. Then Elijah said to the people, I alone am left a prophet of the Lord, but Baal's prophets are 450 men. Now let them give us two oxen and let them choose one ox for themselves and cut it up and place it on the wood, but put no fire under it. And I will prepare the other ox and lay it on the wood and I will not put a fire under it. Then you will call on the name of your God, and I will call on the name of the Lord, and the God who answers by fire, he is God. And all the people said, this, that is a good idea. So Elijah said to the prophets of Baal, Choose one ox for yourselves, and prepare it for, first, for you are many. And call on the name of your God, but put no fire under it. <clears throat> then they took the ox which was given them, and they prepared it, and called on the name of Baal from morning until noon, saying, O Baal, answer us. But there was no voice, and no one answered. And they leaped about the altar which they made. It came about at noon that Elijah mocked them and said, Call out with a loud voice, for he is a god. Either he is occupied or gone aside, or is on a journey, or perhaps he is asleep and needs to be awakened. So they cried with a loud voice and cut themselves according to their custom, with swords and lances, until the blood gushed out on them. <clears throat> When midday was past, they raved until the time of the offering of the evening sacrifice, but there was no voice, no one answered, and no one paid attention. So here Elijah and his rebuke against these false prophets, he's mocking them as it says that he's, in verse 27, mock, Elijah mocked them and said, because he knows that their idol is vain. He knows that there is nothing in them. And it's insanity. It's, it's ridiculous to believe in these false gods that they would provide anything for you. And this, is, and this is what Habakkuk is railing against as well. Um, that when one worships the created, that it is because their mind is um, deluded. They, it's an insane thought. But idolatry comes in many forms, and it's not just the, the physical idol that someone makes. We don't see many of those um, in our time, in the United States at least, but they are around us. I mean, you, go, you can go to the grocery store and see candles to these Spanish Catholic idols that people will buy and light for their superstition. So that, that type of idolatry does exist around us. But it's more prevalent in many other ways. If we return back to Habakkuk, uh, Habakkuk already rebukes one of these ways in which uh, the people have propped up a false god. In Habakkuk 1.11, we've studied, it reads, Then they will sweep through like the wind and pass on, but they will be held guilty. They whose strength is their god. So here, the Babylonians, in their rebuke, 
their strength is their God. This is an idol to them. Their, worth, their worldly uh, strength, their wo- worldly might in whatever chariots or horses or military power, um, this is an idol to them. But they will be destroyed and be held guilty, as it says in verse 11. <clears throat> Some other um, forms of idolatry that Scripture speaks against um, is money. The idolatry of money. This is in Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6 verses 19 to 24. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and their thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in or steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body, so then if your eye is clear, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light that is in you is darkness, how great is the darkness. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate one, hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and wealth. They hear this again, he's speaking of serving two masters. You, you can only have one master in reality. Or else it'll, somewhere along the way it will contradict one another. And the, the master here he's speaking against is wealth. The, the root of all sorts of evil. <clears throat> this is the, the idol um, one that's most prevalent that we see each and every day, people forsaking God in many ways to um, accumulate wealth and earthly possession. And it, again, it's no different than worshiping the physical idol. It is still insane. We're talking about the true God, who is the provider of all things, or your own wealth is another creation. You, you have created this wealth, and now that is your God. Um, another example is in Philippians chapter 3. Philippians chapter 3, verses 18 and 19. For many walk of whom I often told you and now tell you even weeping that they are enemies of the cross of Christ whose end is destruction whose God is their appetite and whose glory is in their shame who set their mind on earthly things. So again he's speaking of this appetite or he also describes it as setting their mind on earthly things. They're worshiping the created. However that comes about um, they have become enemies of the cross because of this, because their God is their appetite, whatever that be, um, for money or for fame, power. But this is their idol. And again, it's no different than creating the physical idol that one has created, because then this again is earthly and created. Uh, further, we have addiction. Addiction is another form of idolatry. This is found in 2 Peter, 
Second Peter chapter two, verses seventeen to nineteen. Second Peter two seventeen. These things are springs without water and mists driven by a storm, for whom the black darkness has been reserved. For speaking out arrogant words of vanity, they entice by fleshly desires, by sensuality, those who barely escape from the ones who live in error, promising them freedom, while they themselves are slaves of corruption. For by what a man is overcome, by this he is enslaved. So this is the same slavery um, idea, the one who you serve, as it says in in Matthew. um, That one who you serve, that is your master. So your master is either Christ or your master is this whatever a man has overcome. This is their addiction. And often these addictions are given this promise. They're promising you freedom, but you really are slaves to this sin. And this is what um, another form of idolatry, again, using that parallel of being enslaved to something, and, and that is your master. There's also um, different gospels. So even though we talked about money or strength or things that are very much non-Christian ideals that are devoid of Christ, but even if you have the wrong Christ, that is idolatry as well. And this is found in 1 John 5, 21. Um, 1 John 5, verse 21. Little children, guard yourselves from idols. And we know in the book of 1 John that we are not studying physical idolatry or carved images, but we're speaking of theology and Christ and that there not be any other gospel preached than the true gospel that was handed to the apostles. So these things, any deviation from these, is idolatry. That's why his admonition at the end speaks of guarding yourself from idols. So now that we put this um, idolatry into perspective, not of just only physically this um, physical carved image, which in our flesh may be easy to dismiss. All this passage doesn't apply to me because we don't, we're not here worshiping a picture. But idolatry comes in many forms and there's no, it's not different in its nature. It's still sinful to God. It's still replacing God with something that is created. And I, I, the word, the creation part is stressed. Because it's speaking of the man making it or something from this earth is the idol that we're worshiping. And all of those supplant God as creator. God as creator is essential to so many theological points and doctrines that if it's undermined by something like um, um, non weak creation or some of these other theories out there like Canaanite gap theory or some of these other um, wild and wacky ideas that try and mix evolution and what the Bible says, what they really are doing is undermining God as the creator. And when that happens, there's many pitfalls 
because God as creator is the foundation of very, or a lot of um, doctrines that we must believe that are necessary to the true gospel. So to study some of these, we're going to look or start in Genesis chapter 2. The creation of man and woman. Genesis chapter 2, verses 20 to 25. The man gave names to all the cattle and to the birds of the sky and to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper suitable for him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man and he slept Then he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh at that place. The Lord God fashioned into a woman the rib which he had taken from the man and brought her to the man. The man said, This is now bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. For this reason, a man shall leave his mother and father and be joined to his wife and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and we're not ashamed. So from this passage, we understand that man was created and then woman. The roles of man and women together. We have marriage here. And all these doctrines are founded here in creation. The creation of the woman from the man. Uh, and the apostles and the prophets will use this passage to defend those those doctrines. We see that repeated many times. Um, we all know, for this reason, a man shall leave his father and his mother and be joined to his wife as, ma- as marriage, um, because it's quoted by the apostles for that purpose. But here it's creation. Creation is the foundation for that doctrine. Creation is the reason we get married. Creation is why marriage is between a man and a woman. And no other um, perversion of that. Um, but it is the basis of this is creation. So if these things are undermined in our theology, then those sins may come to the surface. Um, some other examples of this, of our theology being based in the biblical creation, is found in Exodus chapter 20. Exodus chapter 20, verses 8 to 11. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath of the Lord your God. In it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male or your female servant, or your cattle or your sojourner who stays with you. Why? For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. So this fourth commandment, the one that is favorite for everyone that despises the law to throw off, it's founded in creation. This is the base, This is the evidence of why it's self-evident to the believer that we have the Lord's day and we dedicate it to worship because 
the earth was created six days and rested on the seventh day. God did that as an example for us and dedicated that day so that we may focus on the heavenly things. So the fourth commandment and how we worship God is, again, the evidences in creation. So if you start mixing these things again with evolution or some other doctrine like that, now it undermines the Ten Commandments. Some other doctrines we can study. uh, Let's turn to Isaiah 51. Isaiah chapter 51, verses 12 and 13. Isaiah 51, 12. I, even I, am he who comforts you. Who are you that you are afraid of man who dies, and of the Son of Man who is made like grass, that you have forgotten the Lord your Maker, who stretched out the heavens and laid the foundations of the earth, that you fear continually all day long because of the fury of the oppressor as he makes ready to destroy? But where is the fury of the oppressor? So here, the rebuke is the fear of man. Why would any of us sin in deferring to man and rejecting God? Man dies. Man is created. But God, what is the evidence for us fearing God? The Lord, your maker. Have you forgotten the Lord, your maker? Don't you understand that God made you and made everything? So why would we fear man in any stretch? It's a sin that's in all of us, but it makes no sense. It's the insanity of sin that we would ever fear fear man who is made like grass. Because God stretched out the heavens and laid the foundations of the earth. The evidence of that is creation. Further in Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5 verse 12. Therefore, just as through one man centered into the world, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men, because all sin. So if sin entered into the world through one man, that man must be Adam. If we believe that there was death before Adam, for however many million years, or... um, thousands of years, or whatever number you want to come up with, if there was any sort of death, even animal death, any kind of death, then now you're undermining this doctrine that the Bible is preaching here in verse 12, called original sin, is fundamental because we inherit this original sin. But if you deny that original or death was brought about by sin, Now you may believe that you don't have sin dwelling in you. That this sin is something foreign to you and not inherited. Uh, Further in Romans, 
Another doctrine founded in creation is Romans chapter 9, verses 19 to 21. Romans nine nineteen. You will say to me then, why does he still find fault? For who resists his will? On the contrary, who are you, O man, who answers back to God? The thing molded will not say to the molder, why did you make me like this, will it? Or does not the potter have a right over the clay to make from the same lump one vessel for honorable use and another for common use? So Paul is rebuking the man for answering back to God. Why does he still find fault? Who resists his will? His answer is, why are you answering back to God? You are the thing that is created. Right? God as creator. So if you have these idols and don't believe God as creator, then now you have given yourself a pomp, a pride, to think that you can answer back to God. Who can resist his will? We are nothing but clay because we are created. That is the foundation of this belief. Predestination and no free will for mankind is founded in creation. This is what he's preaching here in Romans 9. Um, As I'm sure we know this passage very well. This is the base of this belief. That you must understand that man is created. We have nothing to offer to God. We have no answer to God. And then finally, one other um, doctrine or element of the sound Christian faith that is evidenced in creation is in Hebrews chapter 1. We'll start with Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 to 20, or excuse me, 1 to 2. God, after he spoke long ago to the fathers in the prophets in many portions and in many ways, in these last days has spoken to us in his son, whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the world. And further, verses 10 to 12. And you, Lord, in the beginning laid the foundation of the earth, and the heavens are the works of your hands. They will perish, but you remain, and they all will become old like a garment. And like a mantle, you will roll them up. Like a garment, they will also be changed. But you are the same, and your years will not come to an end. So here, as we read in... Verses 1 and 2, he's preaching Christ in the Old Testament. That he's the prophets, the fathers in the prophets, spoken long ago, as it says in verse 1. He's describing that his son, Christ, was there and he made the world. Verse 2. So this is contrary to anti-Trinitarian or the Unitarian um, believers. Um, It's contrary to those who deny Christ in the Old Testament. Um, Different things like that that 
The Old Testament was devoid of Christ. But here, in Hebrews, he's preaching that Christ was there the whole time. That Christ, that all these passages in the Old Testament were about Christ. And he's using the fact that Christ created the world. So again, it goes back to creation and understanding, properly understanding creation. Contrary to um, all these other false beliefs of creation. And that also goes back to idols. So anything that deviates from this true Christ and from understanding God as creator and all these idols, whether that be wealth, whether that be a physical idol, whether that be an addiction of some sort, that they are created. And anytime we worship an idol, it supplants the proper worship of God and the proper understanding of who God is. And that's why it's such a critical um, aspect of our faith. And when we read these passages in Habakkuk, and it speaks of a carved image that we shouldn't take it lightly to and just repast it saying, well, I'm not, I'm not worshiping a, just a picture or a statue or something like that. But there's more seriousness to it <clears throat> to reflect on a, how we're worshiping God. But further in verse 19... He, in the middle of verse 19, he has this phrase after speaking of these idols and it's um, and the uh, maker worshiping his own creation. He says, and that is your teacher? So God, the, the thing we worship, whether that be an idol, which is mute and dumb, or it be the true and living God, it is your teacher. The teacher is who you look to spiritually. It's who you look to for your source of wisdom. Um, so he's asking, is that piece of wood really who you want to be teaching you? That, that's where you're gathering your wisdom, um, both spiritually and practically. And the obvious answer is no, it's a piece of wood. So how, how is it then, um, how does God teach? How, how would the believer look at God being our teacher? So first, there's a practical sense in which God is our teacher. In Isaiah 28, gives uh, evidence to this. Isaiah chapter 28, verses 23 to 29. Give ear and hear my voice. Listen and hear my words. Does the farmer plow continually to plant seed? Does he continually turn and harrow the ground? Does he not level its surface and sow dill and scatter cumin and plant wheat in rows, barley in its place and rye within its area? For his God instructs and teaches him properly. For dill is not threshed with a threshing sledge, nor is the cartwheel driven over cumin. But dill is beaten out with a rod and cumin with a club. Grain for bread is crushed. Indeed, he does not continue to thresh it forever. 
because the wheel of his cart and his horses eventually damage it. He does not thresh it long. This also comes from the Lord of hosts, who made who has made his counsel wonderful and his wisdom great. So this is God practically teaching man um, how to provide for oneself. In this, in this case, how to farm these herbs. This is, um, this is another way in which God provides for us, um, giving us this wisdom. This is why we should thank God also for all the things that we have, because every little thing that has entered into our mind um, is from God. He is our teacher in a practical sense but also, obviously, in a spiritual sense. And this is evidenced in John chapter 14. John 14, verse 26. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things, and bring to your remembrance all that I said to you. So here God is speaking of how the Holy Spirit will teach us and remind us the things of God, the things that God has spoken to us. And further in Ezekiel, go back to Ezekiel chapter 36. We see this in the Old Testament as well. Ezekiel chapter 36, verses 26 to 28. Ezekiel 36, 26. Moreover, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you, and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and you will be careful to observe my ordinances. You will live in the land that I gave to your forefathers, so you will be my people, and I will be your God. So here we again have God giving us the Holy Spirit. He, he says, my spirit, in verse 27, so that we again know the word of God. Here he says, cause you to walk in my statutes, and that we would be careful to observe my ordinances. This is, again, how God is our teacher. Contrasting this piece of wood, or our wealth, or um, our strength. These, these types of things, if that is our God, that's where we will derive our wisdom from earthly things and natural things and demonic things. But, by the grace of God, through the Holy Spirit, we now have God as our teacher. And that's where we gain our wisdom. And that's the rebuke from Habakkuk. Speaking of these things as he's asking this question. And that is your teacher? Because it's ridiculous to think that you could learn anything from a piece of wood. So continuing in Habakkuk chapter 2, we'll move on to verse 20. Habakkuk 2.20, but the Lord is in his holy temple, let all the earth be silent 
before him. So again, Habakkuk, he's making this contrast to the idol that is worthless to God. Where, where is God? God is in his holy temple. The Lord is in his holy temple. We, you would want to worship a God who has power, a God who is omniscient, a God who um, actually created things and not something that you yourself have created. And this is to humble us. So we studied why God is God in the essential, or why it is essential to understand that God is in heaven and he has created everything and not to worship an idol. But it's also to humble us. And that's important as well because the pride of man needs to be humbled. Um, so further examples of how God being in his holy temple, God being in heaven and us on earth should humble us and how we approach God. We find this in Psalm 115. Psalm 115, uh, verses 1 to 8. Not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to your name give glory, because your loving kindness, because of your truth. Why should the nations say, where now is their God? But our God is in the heavens. He does whatever he pleases. Their idols are silver and gold, the work of man's hands, they have mouths, but they cannot speak. They have eyes, but they cannot see. They have ears, but they cannot hear. They have noses, but they cannot smell. They have hands, but they cannot feel. They have feet, but they cannot walk. They cannot make a sound with their throat. Those who make them will become like them. Everyone who trusts in them. So we again have this, this contrast. And verses 4 to 8 is like Habakkuk. 2, 18, and 19, where he's highlighting that these idols are worthless and that the, the faith in them will lead to ruin. But he contrasts it in verse 3. But our God is in heaven. He is in the heavens. And he does whatever he pleases. So this again goes back to um, what we were talking about. The free will, the free will of God is true because he is in heaven. This is the all-powerful God that we are talking about. Another example of God being in heaven and us on the earth to humble us and to humble the idols of the earth is in Ecclesiastes chapter 5. Ecclesiastes chapter 5, verses 1 to 3. Guard your steps as you go to the house of God and draw near to listen, rather than to offer the sacrifice of fools, for they do not know what they are that they excuse me, for they do not know they are doing evil. Do not be hasty in word or impulsive in thought to bring up a matter in the presence of God. For God is in heaven and you are on the earth. Therefore, let your words be few, for the dream comes through much effort and the voice of a fool through many words. So this is us approaching God. And what is 
the evidence written here that we should be quiet and humble and careful as we approach God is because God is in heaven and you are on the earth. God is in heaven. God is eternal. God has created you and all these things on the earth. So we should have a humble attitude to God. God is not our best pal that we hang out with. God is God. You should, we should be reverent. God is um, the creator. And we should not offer the sacrifice of fools to speak and think we have anything to offer to God. Which is the same thing that Habakkuk says in the second half of this verse. Habakkuk 2.20 let all the earth be silent before him. So again, God is in heaven. And we are on the earth. So we should be silent before him. Whatever his will is, whatever the word of God says, we humbly accept it and worship him and thank him that we have even known him on this earth. So that's similar to what... Uh, we studied in Romans 9.20, who are you, O man, to, who answers back to God? We should be silent, just as it says here in Ecclesiastes 5. Do not offer the sacrifice of fools, but to keep our lips closed. In verse 2 it says, therefore let your words be few. Some other uh, examples of us being quiet before God. We have in Zephaniah chapter 1, just one page over, Zephaniah chapter 1, verse 7. Be silent before the Lord God, for the day of the Lord is near, for the Lord has prepared a sacrifice, he has consecrated his guests. So the speaking of the day of the Lord being near, um, this is speaking eternally, and we know that eternally the earth will be silent. We will be silent. But as evidence of our belief in that day, we should be silent now as well. And our final example in Zechariah 2, uh, verse 13. Zechariah 2, 13. Be silent, all flesh, before the Lord, for he is aroused from his holy habitation. So again, being silent before Lord, before the Lord, who is in his holy habitation. So he is in heaven. He is holy, and we are not. And this is a reason why we should be silent before God. So, in Habakkuk, contrasting the idolatry of man both physical and what's in our hearts, contrasting to what the Lord has done. The Lord has created all things, and He is the true and living God that we should worship and be humble before Him. Um, and if, it, if not in this life, it will happen in the life to come. And by His grace, we can be this way uh, to humble us, because in our pride and our flesh, we want to deny this truth. But we must believe it, as it is the word of God written here for us. Amen.